0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, friends at Crossbridge. We start a new series today, even as we have our last recorded sermon, hopefully. I look forward to uh, seeing you face-to-face and mask-to-mask next week and the weeks following. But we start a new series today in the book of Hebrews. Why have we chosen Hebrews? Hebrews. The overarching reason is because we swim in a sea of relativism in our Western culture. Christianity in this culture seems so exclusive, so narrow-minded, so judgmental, and so we may experience pressure. You can call it persecution if you want, but please put it in quotation marks, because as you know, it's nothing compared to the rest of the world. But we may experience pressure nevertheless. And Jesus said, the seed, the word of God, the seed that is sown falls on different kinds of soil. The soil represents different conditions of the human heart. And some of the seed falls on soil where it springs up. And then what happens it is choked by the cares of the world and persecution. And so we're offering this teaching from Hebrews so that the seed will not be choked, even if we experience pressure, even if it's tough in this ocean of relativism the Hebrew Christians, the recipients of this book, were facing the same kind of situation. I'll I'll uh, d- give you a few details on the background in just a minute, but let me talk a little bit more about this culture that we live in. The dropout rate from the church, people who were uh, reared in the church, the dropout rate among young adults is very high. This is statistic from a 2019 study by Barna, Barna Research Group, he says that 64%, almost two-thirds of young adults ages 18 to 29 who are raised in the church drop out, at least temporarily. Some of them come back, some of them don't. And so we are concerned that in this tough culture that we live in, that we not drop out and drift away. And uh, what about the 36 percent who don't drop out? I suspect, by the way, that our statistics at Crossbridge are different than Barnes. Nevertheless, it's a phenomenon that we're facing, this this, the dropping out and drifting away. But what about the 36 percent that don't drop out? Well, they were the subjects of another study by Kinneman and Matlock they wrote a book called Faith for Exiles those who are aliens and strangers in this culture in this land they are exiles and they ask the question why why, why don't they drop out what what uh, constitutes their longevity and their strength and they call those people resilient disciples and that's what we want for Crossbridge. Resilient disciples. Resiliency is a good word, isn't it? It's like if you bend uh, metal or a piece of plastic, uh, you bend it and then it comes back into its shape. It's very resilient, right? And our culture can bend us. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But we want to remain true to Jesus, not drop out, not drift away. Jesus is the real meal deal. He is the true bona fide savior of the world, the son of God. We're going to see that in our passage today. And we want to cling to him, the anchor of our souls and not drift away. Jesus said, you're in danger if you drift away. You get off of the narrow road and get on the broad road. And where does the broad road lead? To destruction. So with that heartbeat, that pastoral uh, um, passion in mind, we offer uh, the book of Hebrews. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the background and show you how uh, this message was relevant to the original recipients. See, they were tempted to turn back. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 21 says, We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift. Chapter 3, verse verse 12 says, be careful, watch out for each other so that an evil, unbelieving heart does not spring up and that you fall away. You'll see that message uh, just throughout the book of Hebrews. It's very dominant. Do not drift. Hang on. Do not fall away. Now, why were these Hebrew Christians uh, tempted to fall away? For two reasons. Number One, because of persecution, and they had real persecution uh, in their situation. Um, they were probably living in Rome we don't know for sure, but it was probably addressed to the the house churches in Rome. Rome was an enormous city, especially for the ancient world. It was over a million people, and there was a large uh, Jewish community. There are to 60,000 Jews lived in Rome. And at this time, Christianity was growing up in the cradle of the synagogue, and it wasn't distinguished from Judaism. And so uh, it was written to those people who were part of the Messianic Jewish community. In 40, the year 49, the Jews and the Jewish Christians were kicked out of Rome. Acts refers to that. And then, after a while, they were allowed back in, and the two, the the Jewish community, the synagogue and the church, began to separate, and the church had its own identity, so that in the year, in the 60s, there was genuine, uh, terrible persecution of the Christians. You've heard of this. It was under Nero. Remember, Rome burned. He blamed the Christians and that's when they started crucifying Christians. They, they took them to the Colosseum. They had, uh, uh, you know, they called them the games, like what enter- entertainment. They would release uh, wild, half-starved animals like tigers on these Christians. And oh boy, wasn't that good entertainment. And the Christians were arrested and tortured and persecuted. And after that, I mean, after a while, even the Romans uh, came to realize the the Christians were not responsible for the the burning of Rome. and And they became disgusted at their own games. Nevertheless, the law remained, and Christians were guilty of this law, of being haters of the human race. Now that sounds a little bit more contemporary. What did it mean? It meant they weren't good Romans. They wouldn't sacrifice to the gods. And, they, and if, if the law of God uh, contradicted the law of the land, they went with the law of God and they called them haters of the human race. And so they were continued to be arrested and persecuted. During this time, Peter and Paul were arrested, the great pillars of the church, and they were tempted to turn away and to turn back. Wouldn't it be easier to just bag this whole Christianity thing and go back to the synagogue because the Jews were not uh, persecuted during this time. They were tempted to drift, to turn their backs, to fall away. And they were tempted to turn back for another reason also, just simply because the old ways were so familiar you know, here's like, like Christianity sort of the new kid on the block, and they no longer had a priesthood, and that was precious to them, and they no longer had animal sacrifices. It wasn't, you know, Christianity wasn't as tangible and as physical and visible. And it didn't have this long thousands of years of history, and they were tempted to go back to the old ways, their old friends, their old uh, belief structures. And they, maybe they were tempted to think, you know, this Christianity, it's just wish fulfillment. And so the author says, hang on, Jesus is real. He is the Son of God. This is a revealed religion from the Son of God. It's not something that we made up. Don't drift. Don't fall away. So hang on to Jesus. He is better than the sacrificial system, to the the priesthood, to the prophets. He's better, he's better, he's better, he's superior. And so we've titled this series simply, Jesus is Better. Next week, Pastor Jeff will take up, uh, Jesus is Better Than Angels, Superior to Angels. That's the first point in the book. But today, we have just the introductory verses. Don't drift Hang on to Jesus. He is real. Heavenly Father, as we get into this book, open our hearts and minds, prepare the soil of our own hearts so that the seed falls on good soil and protect us from drifting. In Jesus' name, amen. Verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed. Now we have five phrases here. The heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has spoken to us by his son. In the past, he had very good communication through the prophets. He used Uh, stone tablets and oracles and visions and dreams and sermons and letters various times in various ways. He used parables and proverbs and poetry and riddles. He used a burning bush. He used torrential floods. He used scorching winds. He used men. He used women. He even used a donkey in various ways. At various times, he spoke through the prophets, and it was good communication. And then he did something even better. He, uh, he increased the bandwidth of his communication. He has spoken to us by his son, verse 2. Interestingly, in the Greek text, the word his isn't even there. Uh, I think it's a fine translation. It means he has spoken to us by his son. But I kind of like it without the, the uh, pronoun. In these last days, he has spoken by son (laughs) he has spoken to us through the medium of son his son he has spoken to us through his son jesus christ the title of this sermon is he has spoken by son what's he talking about talking about the incarnation the son of god the eternal second person of the trinity coming to earth and being the representative and communicating God's will, his heart, his message, reconstituting, building the kingdom of God, reconstituting the nation of Israel and grafting in the Gentiles. He has spoken to us by son. When President John Adams wanted to communicate with the royal court, of Russia in St. Petersburg, very, very far away, he thought, well, the best way to communicate would be by sending my son. So he sent John Quincy Adams. He thought, John Quincy knows my policies. He knows my thinking, my will. He represents me. He, He behaves with my manners. And it's the best I can do to send them my personal, my son, my personal representative. And just so, God increased the bandwidth and he, he put extra care into his communication with the prophets. It was good, but now he is communicated by son. If you really want to communicate, you must commune. That's the root of our word, isn't it? You must look in their eyes. You must, you must sing their songs. You must lament at their funeral dirges. You must clap your hands at their weddings. You must be touched with the feelings of their infirmities. You must become one of them and dwell among them. He has communicated to us by his son. Don't drift away. Don't drift away. Maintain your faith in Jesus. Joe Torrey was a professional baseball player for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then he became a manager after that. And his friend, the announcer for the New York Yankees, his friend Phil Rizzuto, suggested that, he said, Joe, maybe you could do your job as a manager better by coming up to the announcer's level, up to the booth where he called the games, because, you know, we see things up here. You we, uh, we get a different view of the field. So you might try managing from up on high. And Joe Torre said, mm, Upstairs, you can't look in their eyes. Jesus, the Son of God, has come to look in our eyes. He is communicated, God is communicated uh, by his Son. Now, the rest of the passage uh, describes this great and glorious Son. We have five phrases and then a sixth one following. Three of the phrases uh, deal with Jesus' relationship to the universe, to the physical world. Two of the phrases deal with his relationship to God the Father. And one of the phrases, the last one, um, one of the phrases deals with his relationship to us. So let me take the first one first, uh, Jesus' relationship to the world. Here I've highlighted in red, God has appointed him the heir of all things, through whom he created the world and then jumping down and he upholds he not only created the world he upholds the universe by the word of his power jesus is the heir of all things all honor all power all glory all knees will bow even now even before he receives his inheritance Even now God has given him all authority in in heaven and on earth. Authority to forgive sins, authority to cast out demons, authority to to, uh, have the final say in our eternal destiny. And one day he will receive as the heir all things. Maybe he'll set up government under the golden dome of the state house in Boston. But he will be King Jesus, in fact, not just anticipated in the future as the heir of all things, but uh, in reality. Don't drift from him. He's not just some angel. He's not just, you know, another one of the prophets, as good as, as they were. Moses was the greatest. He's not just... He is the real deal. Maintain your faith in him. The righteous one will live By his faith. And then the Bible says, uh, through whom he created the world. God created the world through his son. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but he was involved in the act of creation. Back there in Genesis chapter 1, God created the world and all that is. Just pause here. Let your mind get wrapped around. He created the world, the universe, all that is. This is the Jesus. The author is urging us, cling to him, don't drift. He is superior to him. You name it, he's superior. If, uh, if the sun in our solar system were the size of a tennis ball, 2.7 inches, how big would the earth be? The earth would be... inches, which is about half of the width of a dime. And if we maintain these same proportions, same ratios, how far away would the earth be from the sun? I can't demonstrate this. I wish we could do it in live on a stage I could show you. The earth would be 24 Feet away from the sun. Okay? Jesus created, created all this. How far, using our same proportions, would the distance be from the sun to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri? Using the same proportions, 1,236 miles. This is a big universe. That is the closest star. He not only created this world and the universe. What does the the next phrase say? He upholds it by the word of his power. This is not the deists watchmaker God. Remember the, the deists, they, they had a sort of general notion of God. He created the world intricate like a watch and then he wound it up and whoop and then he let it go to run on it. So no, no, he is sustaining. He is saying, uh, revolve planets and uh, re- uh, rotate planets and revolve moons. Come on, hurry up. He's saying to the, to the, uh, the comets, uh, better hurry up now. You've got to show up every 75 years. Gotta get going now. He is sustaining this universe. This is the Jesus that we sing about, that we worship. We are christ followers christians disciples of jesus don't 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 drift i know that it's tempting the old ways are so familiar i know that i know that i know you're being persecuted i know that it's very tough our great leaders paul and peter hang on now he makes not just big things like universes and worlds he makes small things too Like the hummingbird. Yeah, the hummingbird. I did a little research on hummingbirds. They are fascinating. They are intricate. They are beautiful. In her book, uh, Birdology, (laughs) naturalist Cy Montgomery describes the beauty and the intricacy of an ordinary hummingbird. There's 240 species. The smallest one is the Cuban bee hummingbird. It is two centimeters excuse me just about two inches long it weighs one gram and the hummingbird is fascinating it can hover we've seen that it can fly backwards it can some of them can fly upside down intricate beautiful the uh, The amount of muscle mass in a hummingbird is much larger than other uh, vertebrates, and the the uh, the heart of the hummingbird is the largest of all vertebrates because as to you know it's expending so much energy, its wings beat sixty times a second the wings are just a blur to the human eye and if a human uh, Uh, exerted the amount of energy that a hummingbird exerts in one day, we would have to eat 155,000 calories a day. (laughs) She says, this, uh, this naturalist, Cy Montgomery, she says, each hummingbird is just a speck, yet each is an infinite mystery. And Jesus is behind this, the creator, the sustainer. That is his relationship to the natural order. A great astronomer named Alan Sandage died in 2010. He was 84 years old. He was one of the great astronomers of the 20th century. He was awarded the the Crawford Prize, which is the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for Astronomy he was instrumental in determining the hubble constant constant that deals with the size of the universe and alan hubble uh, alan hubble alan sandage was also a christian but his, his the road to christianity was very long is very protracted he says of himself when he, when i was a boy i was quote almost a practicing atheist nevertheless i was nagged by the mysteries of space and when he got to be about 50 years old his knowledge of the universe was expanding and he at that point he opened up his mind to the possibility of God and faith in God as the creator he says I was at a writer's conference and he said I was struck for the first time by the intricacies of the human body, let alone the intricacies of the entire universe. And so he started to question at that age, could it have happened by chance? Maybe there's a different view of things. And he got on this gradual road to Christianity. Eventually he said, faith means you have to go all the way, accept Christianity totally or reject it totally. He continued to write papers, continued to be a great scientist, and toward the end of his life, uh, at 84 years old, he said, it was my science that drove me to the, con- uh, to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. If there is a God, he must be true to both science and christianity this is jesus the creator the sustainer all right let me pick up the pace a little bit here and give you a couple other uh perspectives on jesus his relationship to the heavenly father two phrases he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature Wow, this is dense language. This is poetic language. The radiance of the glory of God. Glory means, you know, the character and the praiseworthy uh, attributes of God, the, the, uh, uh, the, the uniqueness of God. He is the radiance... Not the reflection, not like the moon reflects the sun. He is the rays, the radiance. The Greek word uh, literally means the off flash. If you know the English word, here's a good uh, vocab word for you the effulgence, the radiance. It's what we see of the glory of God. This is heavy language. We stretch the resources of language when we start to describe the mysteries and the beauties of the Trinity. Three persons, one person. The radiance of the glory of God. And then it says he's the exact imprint of God's nature. This is the Greek word character, character. It doesn't mean like, uh, oh, she has good character, she's an honest person. It means like um, uh, a stamp or a seal of some kind, that kind of character, like with an old typewriter, the uh, the key would uh, hit the page and leave uh, the character, this thing, like an imprint would leave. He is the exact imprint, character of the nature of God. Hard to talk about these things, isn't it? it? Maybe poetry (laughs) captures it as well as anything. As when St. Augustine said, he is the maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the Father, he remains from his mother. He goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's breast. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. That is our Jesus not just some wise teacher, not just some sort of revolutionary, ah, the Son of God, don't drift, hang on. Maintain your confidence. And then finally, his relationship to us, and here we have just that last sentence, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand Of the majesty on high. This is an allusion to the old covenant uh, system of the priesthood where the priest made purification for the sins of the people. He offered sacrifices, sometimes he would sprinkle them with blood, sometimes he would offer a wave offering or he would pour out things. He made purification for their sins. But it's also saying that Jesus has gone beyond that old system because he did this one time and then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't know if you ever noticed, but in the uh, the furniture... <laughs> Of the tabernacle and, and the temple, you know, you had a, a table and they would put show bread every day. They'd put loaves of bread on there. And you had a candelabra that represented, you know, had light and it represented this and that. And you had a, a different altars. I don't know if you've ever noticed, they didn't have any chairs in the temple, in the tabernacle. Because the priest never sat down. He was always busy, always offering sacrifices daily, one after the other. So, in know, our imaginations, we can, uh, we can see our friend the priest in the old covenant. He wakes up one morning, he takes a look at his schedule, he pulls out his iPhone, and he says, okay, what's on the agenda for today? Hmm, okay, uh, sacrifice, offerings, hey, I just did that yesterday. Uh, Ah, yeah, we had a big festival yesterday. Man, I must, personally, I must have sacrificed a dozen lambs and goats. And for the poor people, I must have, I don't know, 30 or 40 different pigeons and doves. Do I really have to offer offerings again? And God says to him, yes. Didn't you hear about the party last night after the big festival? My people didn't behave very well. And yes, you need to make purification for their sins. Time to get up. Come on. And don't sit down. You've got work to do. The next day he wakes up. He stretches and he says, Oh, good. Finally a day off. I think I'll play some golf today. And God says, No. No. mm -mm. More offerings. More sacrifices. You look at the outward appearance. People's presumptuous sins. I look at the heart and the heart of my people uh, needs purification. So... Don't sit down. Get up. Go to work. That afternoon, our friend the priest has an argument with a fellow priest. They, they get into this, it's pretty heated argument about the best way to offer sacrifices. This knucklehead tried to give him some advice. He's been doing this for like 12 years. He knows how to do this. And in the heat of the exchange, he, uh, to defend himself, he kind of stretched the truth. He said some things really they were not true to make himself look good. And so God says to him, and uh, while you're at it, making these offerings, uh, before you go home today, make one for yourself. Because your heart needs to be purified and your actions need purification. In any case, don't sit down. You've got work to do. The scripture puts it this way. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. To symbolize this once-for-all offering that Jesus has done, it is finished and he... one sacrifice for the members and the visitors of Crossbridge. One sacrifice for the people that lived in the 1800s. One sacrifice for the people that lived in the 1500s. And the people that lived in the 700s. One sacrifice for the business person in Hong Kong, for the tenement dweller in Cairo, for the graduate student in Boston. That's his relationship to us. Thanks be to God. I first believed in Jesus pinned all my hope of eternal life on him when i was 14 years old i came to see my own sin although i don't know how well i could have articulated it at that time i came to see him as having made purification for our sins by his own death and i said to him something like jesus christ son of god heir of all things You have come to purify us from our sins. That's what I want. Please make me clean. Amen. And I've prayed that prayer regularly since then. Save me. I believe in you. I cling to you. And I've added to my prayer here in my ancient of days. And Lord, don't let me drift. May I believe in Jesus. Help me believe in Jesus, the anchor of my soul. Help me believe in him to the end of these short days, my fleeting life. We're offering the book of Hebrews to our dear friends of Crossbridge because Jesus is the real thing. The radiance of God. The exact uh, imprint of of his nature. He created the world. He sustains the world. And he made purification for our sins. Cling to him. Don't let go. Don't fall away. Don't drift. Through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.